0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to this month's podcast, where we're going to be talking about the Contact Festival. And I'm absolutely delighted as my guest today is Zau Zihao, who was the founding member of the THE company, has participated in the last seven Contact Festivals, is a Singapore Artist of the Year, and is obviously a very well-known contemporary dance artist in Singapore. Got a new company up now, so Zihao, perhaps you could tell us a bit about that.
1: Not really a company, but uh, it's just a very simple um, collective that I've been running for the last three years. Yeah, it's called Dance In Situ. And uh, what it's doing is basically, you know, site-specific works in the outdoor and always looking for interesting, inspiring places to create works.
0: Okay, so that leads us a little bit to the Contact Festival. What we're going to be discussing is a couple of things that have changed um, in the festival. But before we do that, we probably need to declare our own involvement with it, which I've never had to do before. (laughs) But it was a privilege for me to have a choreography in the M1 Open Stage with uh, Yara Aleto Dancing and Kainin Yong. Playing the violin, so we won't be discussing that. And you've got some involvement as well.
1: Yeah, I was in the um, one of the program, um, the Asia Festival Exchange.
0: Okay, so we won't be discussing those, but we'll go around all the other aspects of the festival. So the festival has always been very exciting mix of workshops, visiting artists, not just a regional focus, but also international. We have link-ups with the Festival of Spain, uh, South Korea, Beijing. Um, so it's a very um, very rich festival. This year, a couple of new things happened. We had an outdoor space and I was lucky enough to go along and see some of the dancers in dusk dance at dusk and the audience there was packed and I remember seeing a Swiss group which were doing quite sort of physical acrobatic theatre which was very engaging for just people passing by. Could you comment on that?
1: Yeah, it's a nice thing to, you know, engage the audience in a different environment, you know, this time around at the outdoor environment, you know, like it attracts people that don't really know to get tickets, basically pass by, you know, and, and it's a really good and reaching, you know, really lightens people's night.
0: <laughs> Do you think there's a flow on that some of the people that went there actually went in and got tickets and saw some of the shows?
1: Perhaps, you know, it's also as an outdoor performance, so partly kind of like a marketing, a publicity for the festival.
0: Yeah, uh, I thought it was really great to yeah. see so many people. The other major shift this year, uh, after seven inventions of this festival that it was moved to the middle of the year to june Mm -hmm. so do you think that had a a particular effect or how did you feel about that
1: i'm not very sure about the exact effect but i think probably the festival moved to the middle of the year because of the you know people on breaks you know the schools are on holidays and uh perhaps that is a good time to attract people and then you know normally if it when it is at the end of the year, people will go for vacation. True. So
0: one thing that's coming out so far is it seems to be very, wanting to be very Mm user-friendly to reach out to not just the dance community, but to a wider um, group of people. And also in terms of engaging the the dance community, there's always workshops,
1: masterclasses. I suppose this time around there is a lot more, uh, unlike what it used to be, it used to be um, a lot of artists, you know, giving maybe one or two classes for the entire period. But however, this time it feels like there are a little less artists, but a lot more classes, meaning artists are, are giving more classes.
0: OK, so again, it's uh, an idea of spreading it wider so more people can participate and and learn and work together and I think what the festival does is certainly bring a lot of people together, a lot of regional artists and a lot of of dancers, choreographers and the audience. I, I went to several shows and most of them were certainly very well attended so it'll be interesting to see the statistics that come out of that. So one thing that changed this time Diversity, which used to be a a specific platform for local dance groups, independents and choreographers, was shifted to become a a one-off commission this time. Jermaine Cheng Mm
1: -hmm. um,
0: got that commission. So I wonder how that sort of went down with the local community. Any thoughts about that?
1: In the past, it used to be that for diversity in particular, um, it was different companies performing. However... For some reason, it became an engagement of different local artists. So it really depends on what people are looking for. And uh, I think there are good and bad aspects to the different formats. I think for me, I, I would still love to see, you know, different companies coming together. When I was with the company and I was performing in diversity, it was always a great fun because you get to meet and you know you are together with, you know, the really the dance community in Singapore and and you get to chat and talk with people that you seldom talk because of the working hours.
0: Yeah, I think this is a, a very pertinent point, actually. How does the dance community come together and is it actually the responsibility of a festival to initiate that? I mean, of course it's not. It's a very generous thing to do really so in fact that they probably moved on to take other directions is is acceptable and fine but Mm. um, I think it is something that the Singapore dance community often talk about where are these opportunities to come together where are the platforms and how should we um, work together more because always you're meeting dance artists and they're always saying exactly this, it'd be great to meet other dancers from the other companies, and everyone's so busy and there's so much on that's difficult to do. But also with the Contact Festival, we have a couple of very important exchange programs, and uh, we weren't going to talk about the exchange festival, uh, Asian Festival Exchange, because you're actually in it, but I think the principle of it we can discuss. I mean, over the years that's been an important aspect of the festival.
1: Why? Why? I think it's having the, the the local artists having the opportunity to get themselves connected to the rest of the world, in particularly in Asia, because I think it's important to get yourself familiar with you know the region and uh, and develop your crafts in relation to what is happening within the region. Otherwise, you know the loss of connection and people are just doing their own thing and you know and also of course. A big part of it is to really, as much as you want people to know what you are doing, it's more important to to let people that are nearby, your neighbours, know what you are doing.
0: So it actually involves a physical exchange, doesn't it, where artists from Singapore going to these exchange places and then the work is done there, then it comes back. So perhaps I remember last year you were involved in this, so maybe Mm -hmm. remember what you did last year.
1: Last year I was collaborating with a Japanese artist, Miwa Okuno. It was really interesting because um, Miwa, she has got a very identical perspective as mine. So I find it fascinating to somehow realise how works begin to appear huh. and then this time around it's a, a lot more different this time around with two korean artists which we definitely have got a very um, serious language barrier and yeah how do we resolve this issue you know having to collaborate and and create something together okay yeah. so
0: it's a very rich creative experience but mm. it's also quite challenging and confronting and it really does make people aware that um dance is an international language which actually yeah. goes beyond words and i think part of the contact festival incorporates that understanding in a way that is quite unique and something that's quite special in terms of creating a festival in singapore where there are these connections and bonds that do go beyond language. Yeah. And, and
1: I think what um, Contact really does is besides, you know, attracting the audience, giving the audience different kind of show from the very um, established all the way down to the experimental, I think more importantly is that it has got this room for artists to communicate and connect and, you know, start to talk and indirectly steering the scene, in a way. While I'm listening to how I wish that everybody could see
0: the body language going on. We've got snakes with the <laughs> arms and points and all sorts of gestures, which dancers do all the time when they... When they talk, and it's a wonderful thing, and this is part of the way that we communicate as artists, which is exactly what we're just talking about. So we'll move on to borderline. Mm-hmm. Each year, the um, Contact Festival has what we call the main stage production, which is where THE, the host company, collaborates with somebody or they create a a main event. So this piece, Borderline, was actually two works, one by choreographer of T.H.E. and artistic director Quickswee Boone. He did a work called Vessel, and the other by Ross McCormick called Area 2 or Area Squared, which was by a visiting company of his called Muscle Mouth, which actually incorporated an amazing musical designer that uh, created sound for the piece Jason Wright. So those two pieces made up the programme and I think that they were quite different. I thought they were extraordinary the way that they contrasted. For me, the f- work by Ross was incredibly complex, was layered, was very metaphoric. It was really about the state of the world now. It was uh, There was uh, seemed to be somebody who was almost like a shaman, a ringmaster, Billy Kahavong, who played this role as the other dancers were constantly being manipulated and moved around, and it was a very strong work. Whereas I found Vessel to be quite an instinctive work. And uh, Quick Quickswee Boon's talking about this idea of the hollow body. First of all, I want to ask you what that hollow body idea
1: means. Oh, don't ask me that. I mean, <laughs> like, I'm still trying to figure out. But I guess it surrounds the idea of... Um, some kind of Asian philosophy, you know, having the body, you know which which is exactly what Suibun was, having his title as you know a vessel, having the body as a vessel, um, having the body almost like a container and being able to mold into different shapes, different content within, you know, and having the body transform and manifest that idea that comes into the body. So I think
0: that this was a very interesting idea and it come the Japanese buto also used this idea of the empty body. Mm-hmm. And I thought the way these two pieces contrasted made up a very interesting evening, given that the dancers were the same in each piece. They wore the same costume. They And the way the pieces interacted, I mean, they were quite seamless. The first one seemed to have a rock in mm-hmm. the middle of the stage, which represented place, and it was manipulated in various ways. And then at the end of that piece, it was shifted out. And the only way we knew the next piece was starting was that set piece seemed to shift out and then there was a a change. Mm. So can you talk a little bit about that transition, but also the idea of how two companies can work together in this way where the choreographers are creating two quite separate pieces but finding a, a connection between them?
1: Well, I think I would rather prefer that the two pieces are not linked up together. They each have their very strong identity. However, when they are being put together it makes the entire night sort of mellow. I mean, they are both really intense work, really, really good work. But as a whole, and if you have to go through the entire thing without a little break in between, I felt... It diffuses my attention as an audience.
0: I agree with you, actually. I, I thought that um, it wasn't necessary it was a bit contrived in a way to try to find a connection for the sake of keeping the program into one piece, which could be good for touring, for example. But mm-hmm. I thought it was tough for the dancers as well, because to me, emotionally, they were completely different works and the dancers, a very small number of dancers, it was a very intense experience and I think emotionally they were quite different, like the first one was almost had a sense of realism at the state yeah. of the world right now about domination, about sort of new world order, that sort of thing whereas the second one was quite sort of a, I would call a felt, instinctive piece yeah. where the dancers had to really tune into their own bodies and their own psyches in a way, whereas the first piece they were much more directed.
1: I thought if the two different works were separate you know that the idea of borderline might become clearer in a way as for the dancers i think as usual if you were to put two pieces together there is a lot of compromise that you need to do and i i thought that compromise i mean it's nice to compromise because it is somehow a collaboration in a way however because of two very distinctive choreographers that compromise does not serve the two works well enough when I can so imagine that if the two pieces were separate, we will have a really, really strong night.
0: I think that's very interesting and I'm interested in this in terms of your own new group, for example, and this idea of collaboration people talk about collaboration and what does it really mean mm-hmm. does this mushing together of two separate identities denote some sort of collaboration because we agreed to find a connecting point, which Mm -hmm. I thought was, I agree with you, I thought that was quite a contrived connecting point. I was also a bit disturbed by the same costume, the same lighting, the same, you know, I didn't know why we needed to do that, given that both these artists have a, a very high stature and very established. And often you would find collaborations, collectives with younger artists, perhaps that are less established, that are more willing to let go of the boundaries in a way yeah. to make something that comes together. So I'm interested in what you said about these two strong works and how they were perhaps disadvantaged by being put into that same program. Mm-hmm. So would they exist entirely on their own? Would you suggest it a completely different sort of work to make up that program?
1: The works themselves are actually pretty strong on their own in a way. Like I said again, you know, having them separate will make the night, you know, the the theme, the general theme itself, borderline clearer for me because, you know, by putting them together, you somehow I'm not so sure whether I should look at the two pieces from different perspectives, but I think it will give me a clearer guideline to experience the entire night with two very different works and with a very clear view of two very different perspectives. Yeah,
0: Yeah. okay. So I think that what we get from the Contact Festival comes back to this in a way. There's a sense of generosity, of sharing, of mm-hmm. wanting to share, of wanting to collaborate. And I think that the decision is, is this appropriate in this occasion? Does it work best artistically or is it a compromise? Where are the borderlines, in fact, in terms of the working process of these things? Because I actually found Vessel to be quite experimental. To me, it was a Mm. continuation of uh, Sweeboon's experimentation in this hollow body idea. And I thought it was disadvantaged, basically, to be having the same costume, the same lighting design, the same setting without a break, without a time to step back and reflect. And I also thought that the first piece needed a lot of reflection. It was just packed with imagery mm-hmm. that we needed to unpack, we needed to go outside and think about and discuss. So I think this idea of coming together is not always, you've got to be aware of where the compromise is. Is yeah. it compromising? Yeah. Does it? What is the advantage? What is the disadvantage of, of doing that? And particularly if these two works are tied Together, are they going to be permanently tied together? I mean, is The going to take out vessel and perform that as a separate work in its own repertoire? Is uh, Muscle Mouth going to be doing theirs separately? Has each group got the opportunity to extend those works without the other one? So, what do you think about this?
1: I think the tendency is that the two works will go on their own way. You know, in the long run, I mean, it's really, really obvious that they each have. Their own voices and touching different aspects of borderline and uh, yeah, I. Foresee so as a
0: dancer, how did, would you feel okay, if you could put yourself into that program, which you would mm-hmm. have been last year or something? How do you feel, or oh, you know, the dancers? How how would they feel about making this transition from a very dramatic, very directed work, like even the movement vocabulary was mm-hmm. so precise. I mean, I think people yeah. that saw it will remember that little section with the hands. It was so precise and and so very directed to yeah. the free flow of the last piece. So as a dancer, to make those sort of transitions, how would you feel?
1: Well, of course, as a professional dancer, you are, you are supposed to be able to, you know, adjust yourself and um, go through different kind of vocabularies, you know, whether it's from a, a, a single choreographers or multiple choreographers at the same time. Yeah, I think that approach, I think for them, it seems a little bit difficult when, when it is very clearly two different works. So I would say they might have certain difficulty in going across, you know, because... It was only the choreographic consideration to put the two pieces together. However, how the dancers transit from one to the other, it's not really somehow considered. It was just that. So after this, this is the next piece.
0: So I think another point that you brought up here is how dancers do transit repertoire. And it's funny when when you compare it with classical ballet where the form of the dance, no matter what you're doing, whether you're doing Balanchine or Swan Lake, mm-hmm. or there is a, a codified form of dance yeah. which is set. So you, the dancers can unpack that in a way when they're doing a new work, whereas I think contemporary dance, you're working with ideas, you're working with new material and mm-hmm. the And you as a dancer have to interpret that material and it's not always the same vocabulary and you can see that in these pieces. Like I think Ross was interested in using very sudden movement, very sharp movement, very clear shapes and dramatic images, whereas Sui Boon's much more free flow. So I think physically for the dancers, that's a a hard transition.
1: I guess in contemporary, the vocabulary doesn't come because a choreographer chose to move a certain way, but... It actually comes from the state of mind, you know, what the work is about. And therefore, that state of mind is actually what determines what you have to do physically. And therefore, the dancers really need to know, you know, what state they have to be in before they can execute the dance physically.
0: Yeah, so I think it's interesting to think about this in terms of the difference between contemporary dance and perhaps ballet and other forms of dance, Bahadanaadjian, some Asian forms that are are very preset and they're preset emotionally as well, whereas... Mm I think one reason why the audience sometimes struggle with contemporary dancers is they're not sure where they should be with it, what they should be looking at, how they should be moving with it. And I think the dancers are unsure as well. And I think this is what makes it incredibly exciting and nebulous and I love the way that it can go in so many directions and I'm all for the audience having to try and figure that out for themselves, which they had lots of opportunity in this programme. So moving on from what you've just said then, we're looking at the thematic material of these choreographies which were quite different. Like one I thought was quite ambiguous, just Mm -hmm. this idea of vessel which was very abstract, very open-ended, very free for the audience to interpret it I thought many ways, whereas I thought the first work was much more directed about the state of the world, about dominance, about different people taking over, so it really resonated with me with certainly the current situation of politics and many things happening right now. So in terms of the content of dance, how prepared do you think artists need to be on on issues that they're going to express. I know with my own dance company, I was always asking the dancers what books they were reading. I was interested to know what was in their minds. Were they going to art galleries? Were they going to look at things? I, I mean, given that dancers are so busy, how do you think that they prepare for works that are very thematically based?
1: Well, unless the choreographer's choreographic decision is really based on the dancers or, you know, the performer's habits, you know, the performers' tendencies. I think most of the time for performers, I think for especially for contemporary performers, when a piece is so open-ended, it's just a matter of really setting yourself up to be open to whatever could happen because at the end of the day, unless you are really doing something that's really narrative, you know, otherwise to have a preconceived idea before you perform something, it might counter... Yeah, you might backfire.
0: <laughs> I think that's uh, that's a very valid thing to say about it can often be counterproductive and if you yeah. come with preconceived ideas about what you should be doing so I think for choreographers they can work either way and I think that some choreographers really want the dancers to be informed they might yeah. get frustrated if dancers aren't up to date with certain things that they want to look at in their work whereas other people are much more instinctive and I, I find that Swee is a very instinctive choreographer that when I look at his work I can see that there's space for the dancers to yeah. and
1: to work and i think the thing is i mean as much as you want to be open to you know allow your body as a performer to be open to any sort of interpretations i think for the performers themselves the preparation is really just to be really sensitive i guess you know that sensitivity is what a lot of time what the audience feel you know from watching your performance
0: Yes, and I think it's also the way the dancers as a group interact and Mm -hmm. uh, this group of dancers, T.H.E., had six dancers in this piece and I think it really is so dependent on them feeling each other and knowing each other and their bodies and how they work together and how they interconnect. And that comes about through time and practice and in the studio together together and working together. Another thing I want to bring in is the context for this work in Singapore Mm -hmm. in terms of is it, we're always talking about the Singapore identity, what does that mean? And if you looked at Ross's work, for example, I thought that was quite a global resonance, what he was doing there. And perhaps because Three Boons was quite abstract, that perhaps hit that point as well. But do you have any thoughts about, do you think these works could go anywhere around the world or would they be distinctive for one place or another?
1: Yeah, I'm sure the works can go internationally. Talking about Singaporeans' identity, I think perhaps I'm not so sure what is really the Singaporean identity when it comes to dance. There are so many companies in Singapore and everyone's everyone's doing their own unique style in a way. So which one is really the representative style for singapore i don't know yeah this is a
0: good point to finish with really because we've talked about this a lot on the podcast and in the end people say it's the eclecticism which really comes together here that perhaps we're so open to all sorts Mm -hmm. of
1: i guess i guess the identity of singapore is how much the choreographers or the creators in singapore are influenced by the local culture you know you know Um, going through the sort of lifestyle here and then from there creating works that might have hints of, you know, that, that sense of taste of what Singaporean dance is about.
0: Okay, thank you so much, Zihar. We'll stop there and it was just wonderful to talk to you. Thank you.